The Lord said, Michelle, if you will tell the unvarnished truth about what I've done for you and how I've untangled every single knot, I'll use your story to get into the story of the reader in places I can't go. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I am privileged to chat with a musical guest who is listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. My guest today is Michelle Polar. I've been a big fan of Michelle since way back in high school when I couldn't get enough of her music. (laughs) On one particular occasion, I remember being in Idaho All-State Band, and it was my first time away from home for anything other than church camp. I really felt out of place, not sure how I should act around all these non-Christian kids doing who knows what, and I found real comfort in the familiarity of Michelle's music blaring on my Walkman headphones. Then, when I went to college there was suddenly no more music from Michelle. I wasn't sure why, but didn't really think about it much. But flash forward several years, and I began hearing the story of what happened to Michelle. Then I read her book, Untangled, and found that the woman I had grown to appreciate had a much deeper and much more beautiful story than I could have imagined. Well, before we get to our interview today, guess who's with us? It's Doug Hoffman again, Executive Director of Mercy, Inc. And today we're talking about a really exciting program called Bridge to Reading. And this is a multinational project that you guys are doing. Tell us what Bridge to Reading is. Thank you, Dave. Bridge to Reading is is a project that is led by James Kikwama, who is a Kenyan, by the way, with his doctorate in literacy. Part of the work is done in Colombia, actually working in and around the Soy Santura project, right on the Colombia-Venezuelan border. And then the second piece is clear across the center part of Africa, actually from about Central Africa south. We're actually working in in 12 countries. Okay. The idea there is to teach people how to read and write in their own language. And why is that important? So that they bring dignity. If they're a woman, they bring dignity to their home because oftentimes the husband might have went to school and, and while the woman is in childbearing, she's valuable. When she's done being childbearing, all of a sudden he considers her not very smart. Oh. And, and so those marital issues there. But also to, to, so that they can have economic progress. Because if they can read and write, then they, then they can make improvements. Yeah. Uh, and then think about the biblical side. If they could read their Bible. I mean, we talked to pastors. Uh, in fact, I was in a class. Uh, uh, I went six times into Kenya. And I had some pastors there. We were doing some pastoral training. And we kept giving up study Bibles, and, and they would be just, you know, well used. And then we learned at the sixth time, there was three pastors of about 25 who couldn't read and write. Oh, wow. They were really good, but their kids would read to them. The kids there, so this is an adult-based program more than, than kids. But, but just think about it, those pastors were already very, very good. But if they could actually read the scriptures themselves yeah. and, and allow God to pour into them, look at the power of it. And that's that's part of what we're gearing for is how do you gear for adults and teach them how to read and write in their own language? It's it's a, literally a life-changing experience. Well, so if this strikes a chord with listeners and they would want to help, how could they get involved with Bridge to Reading? So to get involved with Bridge to Reading, you just go to uh, www.mercycompassion.org, hit the donate button. And as you go to the donate button, and you can look at some other things on the website also that would go to Bridge to Reading. Hit the donate button, make your donation, indicate in the little description box this is for Bridge to Reading. Uh, and if you'd love to be able to come alongside, if you've got some skills around reading and or want to be a prayer partner with us, and we would love for you to just indicate that, and we'll reach back out to you and uh, uh, help you get involved in teaching literacy around the world. Michelle Pilar was part of the early Maranatha Praise Singers before releasing her self-titled album in 1982. She has released seven albums. She's a three-time Grammy and Dove Award nominee and is a sought-after conference speaker. In 2016, she released the book Untangled, The Truth Will Set You Free, 
and she is just now putting the finishing touches on her new book due to be released later this year. Won't you please join me in welcoming Michelle Pilar to the podcast? Thank you, Dave. It is so good to be with you today. Oh my goodness, I can't tell you. I So I've been following you since your very first album. I was working at a radio station back in the 80s and spun that record. I bought your record and I recorded it onto a cassette mm-hmm. so I could listen to it on my Walkman. That tells you, that it dates me, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would take, so good. take that with me uh, when, uh, and all the things that I did. But uh, it is so good to be able to chat with you and kind of catch up with what God's doing in your life. Now, For those who don't know, you've written a book that is absolutely fantastic. We're going to talk about that. There's a couple stories I want to pull out, but I'd like to get started because a lot of people know you as as an early musician from the early CCM world. Yes. Let's talk about how you got started in Christian music. (laughs) Well, you know, I I knew I could sing from the time I was a little girl. and, and the funny story there is that I was, believe it or not, in kindergarten, I came home one day and I was crying. And my mother said, what's the matter? And I said, well, everyone at school is making fun of the song. Uh. And, and it took her a minute to kind of ask me questions and smooth out what I was talking about. But I said, we all stand around in a circle and we hold hands and we sing a song. And they're not, they're not singing it right. They're, they're making fun of the song. Oh. And... And as my mother began to ask me more questions, she realized that I was hearing children sing out of tune, and I thought they were making fun of the song by singing out of tune. Oh, no. (laughs) And so she had had this little five-year-old heart and mind. She said, Michelle, they're singing as well as they can. That's that's all they can do. And and I was just amazed at that. you know, because if you can do something, you don't know why everybody else right. can't do that. It's just normal. It was normal to me. And, you know, it's just all of us have different giftings. All of us, some people run fast. Some people are brilliant thinkers. And it's hard to imagine why other people can't be that way. And um, that was my first lesson at five years old of understanding that we're all created differently. And mm-hmm. we're all, we all have different gifts. And one's not better than the other. They're just different. Right. And so... Then when I became a Christian at age 17, when I came to know Jesus, um, not growing up in a, in a Christian home, I, I came to know him at age 17. And all of a sudden, I knew why I could sing. I, I knew I could mm. sing because I wanted to sing about him. Yeah. And it was so revolutionary when I came to know Jesus. I mean, it was truly life-changing to know that I had a friend and I had a father. I had a savior. I had a protector. Yeah. And I didn't have to walk through life alone. For me, that was that was the biggest news ever. And I knew I didn't make it up in my own head. Yeah. I knew that he was real. And so that was I, after shortly after that, I was asked by Tommy Coombs um, from oh, Love sure. Song. I met him at a Bible study. Yeah, I was at a home Bible study. I met Tommy and Eric Nelson, who I recorded with also for Maranatha. Right. I'm recording The Misfit. Tommy asked me to sing on the Praise Two album. And I sang the song, Thou Art Worthy. Thou Art Worthy was the first time my voice was recorded. And that, from there, the Lord just one step at a time. And there I went. And so how did did you come to the attention of Tommy Coombs? I I was simply at a home Bible, seriously, at a home Bible study, um, sitting on a couch with a bunch of other people squished in that living room. And he could hear me. I think he was sitting two people down from me. And I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know I was auditioning. I certainly <laughs> wasn't, but he could hear my voice. <laughs> and so after the Bible study, he asked me to sing something for him. He played something for me and I, on his guitar and I sang and he said, can you drive to Hollywood tomorrow and sing on the pray on the, the praise album? You wow. know, and I, I had praise one. I had, I had praise the first praise album in my car in my little Volkswagen bug on an eight track. Oh, how it, fun. Was, it was sitting in my car. And, and so, yeah, I said, sure, I'd love to. And I remember driving to Hollywood and being so frightened, not knowing what that experience would be. You know, could I do it? Would I be good enough? Yeah. Um, and so he walked me through, Tommy Combs walked me through how to approach the microphone and try not to be too afraid and, <laughs> and, and sing. And so then, and, and was Eric at that same Bible study? Yes, Eric Nelson was, yeah. I think. 
we had already met, but we hadn't started recording yet. But soon after, we would start rec uh, singing together. We sang live together all over the country for three years before we recorded the album The Misfit. Yeah. So by the time we recorded The Misfit, we were almost done singing together. It was so such odd timing. Um, and by then I was on the radio on the Praise 2 album, the Praise 3 album, the Praise 4 album. Um, and I was, so I was on the radio, but not as a recording artist. I was just one of the Praise singers. Right. And people would call and say, can I get her record? And they'd say, well, she doesn't have one. Oh, no. So it's just inter interesting. I like when God takes you along in baby steps. I think that's good. <laughs> I think a lot of times if we would see the end game from where we start, we would probably be so chicken we'd quit. That's true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> so you eventually got signed to Sparrow, and you that's when your first solo album came out, just simply titled Michelle Pilar. That's right. That's right. Eric went back to graduate school, and I never saw myself as a solo artist at all. I always liked being tucked in with other people. And the Lord began kind of pushing me out of the nest and revealing to me that I, I was to sing alone. I was to sing all on my own. Yeah. That was really, really frightening. Um, I just didn't have the confidence and I didn't, I just didn't, I remember being signed to Sparrow and crying all the way home oh, wow. from the Sparrow offices in Los Angeles down, back down to my house in Orange County because I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, we're going to figure out that they've signed someone who can't do this. Yeah. They're, going to, they're going to figure out that I'm a fake, that I, they're going to figure out that they've made a mistake. Uh -huh. And I really believe that. I mean, that's how, that's how little I thought of myself. Mm. Um, so, you know, God doesn't wait till you feel ready. He right. sometimes pushes you into the water and then oftentimes teaches us as we go. Well, and then you had the opportunity to sing on a number of stages and a number of platforms, and your book kind of details a little bit about that. But all along the, that way, you were kind of dealing with some inner issues of feeling worthy, as you kind of stated about being signed, that really led to a critical moment in your life. Do you want to share about that? Um, yeah, there were there were a few critical moments. Are you talking about chapter one of Entangled? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, you know, I became a writer um, in in the most interesting of way because what happened is I was no longer in ministry. It was the year two thousand. Didn't think I'd ever be back in ministry. I thought my ministry days were behind me. You know, I thought that was the time when I was young and I had a recording contract. And again, we always put God in a box. Mm -hmm. I mean, we look backward and see our glory days and see when we had certain opportunities. And a lot of times we think, well, that was then and this is now. I lost I lost my opportunity or, or that's already walked over the bridge and I need to just go out to pasture and wait to go to heaven or mm. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth right. because what I've learned is that you're never more capable and equipped to do the work of God than you are right now. I mean, right now is when you've lived the longest, you've learned the most, you've survived the most, you know, you've repented from the most, you've been <laughs> brushed off and stood back up on your feet, and God is certainly not done. Right. And so the only thing that keeps us from those new things is if we decide we're done. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, um, so that's where I was, year 2000, thinking I'm done, done. But I fell in love with writing. And and just like uh, Forrest Gump couldn't stop running, I couldn't stop writing. And, <laughs> and, and I just wrote all the time. I wrote all the time. Mm. And I found that you could paint beautiful pictures with words that were almost more powerful than music. Mm. And so, okay, so set that aside and then... Um, I'm walking through my barn one day and the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Michelle, I want you to tell the truth. That's all he said. He didn't give mm. me any more instruction. I just want you to tell the truth. Yeah. Well, that seemed like a, that seemed like a reasonable request until I started looking at my life and thinking, wow, if I really told the truth, it would be, it'd be pretty colorful. Uh -huh. And 
So I challenged the Lord. I wasn't afraid of it, but I said, Lord, it's been a long time since I meant anything to anybody. And why do I need to tell my story? I'm not Jackie Onassis. <laughs> and that was actually my prayer. I, you know, like, I'm not a big deal. Who cares? Who cares about my story? And this is what the Lord spoke into my heart. He said, when I got quiet and I thought about it for a while, all of a sudden, and I knew I didn't come up with this, the Lord said, Michelle, if you will tell the unvarnished truth about what I've done for you and how I've untangled every single knot, I'll use your story to get into the story of the reader in mm-hmm. places I can't go. Wow. And that, that was, that was reason enough for me to write. And so I started with chapter one, which was the lowest moment of my existence. It was 1984. And I think that's what you're asking right. me about, right? Yeah. What did you think? Well, I read that section, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and the listener doesn't have the benefit of having read this, most likely, you paint a very dark picture of this evil being in your room laughing at you because you meant nothing in his eyes, Uh and then Mm -hmm. you felt Jesus sit down next to you, and everything changed. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you're absolutely right, that's what happened, and and to preface that, um, the other detail that the listener can't can't see, and I hate hate to uh, give away the punchline if if they read the book, but I'm sitting on the bed, I'm sitting at my mom's house on the twin bed that I hid under as a child. Um, that bed represented uh, being, you know, running from my mother's alcoholic rages and um, hiding under there so she couldn't find me and, and hit me with yard sticks and coat mm-hmm. hangers. And so I had worked really hard in my life to get not only out of that room and off of that bed, but out of that house. Right. And, and here, here I found myself, you know, after being Grammy nominated and all these number one radio hits and on the cover of Today's Christian Woman magazine, all the success that represented everything far away from that home, here I found myself sitting on that bed, back at my mom's house, back where I started, felt like I hadn't gone anywhere, hadn't gotten anywhere. Yeah. And I was sitting there with a handful of pills sleeping pills in my hand. And what brought me to that point, Dave, was that, you know, after being lifted up as an example of a, of a Christian in front of mil- literally millions of people, um, I made the grave mistake of having an affair with a married man. And I won't go into all the details of that. It, it is journaled in the book. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of sprinkled through the, the book, some of the rhymes and the reasons of how that happened, but um, I took my eye off the ball, I took my eye off the Lord, and I got I got busy. You know, when people decide to have an affair, by the way, they don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to have an affair. Um, what they do is, is certain things are in place that come to that decision, things like exhaustion, mm-hmm. things like... Um, not plugging in with God and spending alone time with the Lord and praying and being intimate with God and, and just really getting tapped out in, in, in many, in many areas of your life. And then some person comes along like a prince on a white horse and all of a sudden you're feeling better about life. You're feeling better about yourself. It's a counterfeit. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden you you know, you, you, you don't realize how tired you are. You don't realize how exhausted you are. Yeah. And you decide, oh, this person is the answer. And it really comes down to it being that simple. It's, it's not really a decision based on, you know, I hate to say this, but it's not based on a sexual need. It's, it's almost always based on an emotional and spiritual need. And it's masqueraded in the other. It's finding a substitute for God. Yeah, it's finding a substitute. It's a Band-Aid. I mean, the, the enemy is always going to offer us Band-Aids. Yeah. And it's usually attached with you that you're in more pain than you're willing to admit. Mm-hmm. You're you're more tapped out than and lonely or depressed or whatever you are. It's got, that's gotten more out of hand than you realize. And so when this person comes along in flesh and blood, someone you can talk to and walk with and pour your heart out to, it doesn't take long to jump from that place to jump to the place of crossing lines that should never be crossed because. They don't help, 
they make you feel worse than you did before. It always implodes upon itself, and then you lose twice as much as you ever mm-hmm. had going on before. So that's where I found myself. And of course, it came out that I'd had the affair, and 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 Sparrow put me on hiatus, and record you know record radio stations broke my records over their knees, and I mean it, it's the worst kind of shame you can imagine. And so I found myself. You know, the enemy loves to take one disaster and create another one. So he took the first disaster, and now here I am sitting on the bed, you know, ready to to end my life. Yeah. What happened, you had actually placed a pill in your mouth, according to your book. Your eyes were closed, Mm -hmm. your head was in your hands, and then something happened. Yeah, I mean, what happened is, and I've never had this happen again, so I want to make that clear. Here I was at the end of my rope, and I literally began to have a conversation with the darkness. I mean, I could, in not in my physical eyes, but with my spiritual eyes and in my mind's eye, I could see this demonic being standing in the corner of my room, um, and he was talking to me, and he was, he was goading me to take the pills, and he was telling me what I already believed about myself, and he just said, you know, you thought you could get away from this house. You know, you thought you could dress up like a Christian and go out and tell the world about Jesus. And he said, but where is Jesus now? Mm. Where is Jesus in your most lonely, horrible, desperate moment? He's not even here. I'm the one that showed up. And he didn't show up. And he began to tell me that I'd never get out of that house, that I was that house. And everything about it, you know, coursed through my pathetic little veins. Mm-hmm. That I was a product of that house. I was a product of an alcoholic mother, and I was just like her, really. Even though I didn't drink, I was just as big a loser. I mean, he just began, you know, he was the accuser. He began accusing me yeah. and telling me everything that I believed. And so I agreed with him. I mean, that's the frightening part is I said, you know, I'm tired of running from you. I'm, try- I'm tired of trying to be something other than what I am. And... And so I think you're right. I said, so I'm just asking that you would help me take these pills. If you're such a big deal, then, then help me do this. And so so you started the process, and then? And then um, I felt somebody's, and I'm in the dark, and you know, my room is completely dark. The sun had gone down, and I felt somebody sit down next to me. And I literally felt a depression on the bed to my left. And... And it scared me because I was embarrassed. I thought I was alone. And and again, with my mind's eye, uh, this was all with my spiritual eyes. I saw that who was sitting next to me was Jesus. Yeah. And I couldn't see his face because I didn't look up at his face. I could see, I could see his arm around me. I could see his hands. I could see his feet. I could see that I was tucked up under his arm. And my head was down, and he said, Michelle, give me your life. I need all of it. And in my lap, I saw a tangled ball of string. And it was about as big as a basketball. And it was just knotted. It was just, it was just thousands of knots upon knots that were created to make this ball of string. And, and I said, you know, I gave you my life 10 years ago, and I'm, I started apologizing, and I said, um, look what I've done with that. I mean, I'm an embarrassment to you. I'm an embarrassment to everyone. I, I, you picked the wrong girl. I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I, I'm too tangled. And he said, he said, no, Michelle. He said, you've given me the parts of your life that you knew how to give me, but there's so many layers of your life that you don't know how to give me. Wow. And so you've done the best you could, but I want all of it. I want the good and the bad and the ugly. I want, and we're going to sit here together and we're going to take one knot at a time. Together, we're going to untangle knot by knot and one knot will reveal the next and will reveal the next. And, and I thought, I said, am I going to sit here forever? <laughs> I mean, because this ball was so huge. Yeah. And he kind of chuckled. <laughs> he chuckled. And he said, no. He said, we're only going to sit here for a time we're going to keep untangling the rest of your life. I mean, we'll, we'll constantly be together, but we're going to do this the right way. We're, we're going to do this together. And we're going to do it thoroughly. And it'll take a lifetime, but that's okay. Yeah. And he said, you don't belong to this house. You belong to me. Yeah. You're my daughter. 
And now we are finally at the place where everything else is gone, everyone else is gone. All the accolades, all the accomplishments, not just you and me. And so, I mean, he conveyed all this to me as I sat there and I saw it so clearly. Yeah. And so I knew I wasn't making it up because I wasn't that smart. Hmm. And so that began for you a transition because you didn't you didn't uh, open your eyes and the sun was shining and the daisies were showing and the birds were tweeting and everything was okay. No. You still had a lot to work through, and that the rest of your mm-hmm. book is this beautiful. I, I I read it on the way back from from a business trip that I was on, and I couldn't put it down on the airplane because it was just a beautiful mm-hmm. unfolding of petal after petal after petal of this rose opening up, showing the inner beauty that mm-hmm. God has and has created in you, and then has released you to do work for him that you didn't think you could do. That's right. That's absolutely right. Um, it, I, I stayed out of ministry for quite a few years, and I just learned how to be with the Lord and be and, and enjoy that process of untangling. And what what I tried to do in the book is just every chapter, as you saw, every chapter was a different knot. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all different subjects, so they're kind of separate, but they all flow together. So what's fun about it is, you know, if you read one chapter, you don't have to remember, you put it down for <laughs> a month, you don't have to remember. You can just pick back up to the next knot and go from there. But um, I tried to make it story-driven and very cinematic. It's not a preachy or a teachy book, but it's it. You're actually with me on the journey, and how each knot was untangled. So, um, each at the beginning of each chapter, it tells you what knot was untangled mm-hmm. and where I am and how old I am. Yeah. And what's interesting is I I jumped around as you saw. I mean, the first right. chapter I'm 30, the next chapter, you know, the next chapter I'm nine, and the chapter after that I'm 40. And when I wrote it just like that, and and then when I got it done, I thought. I said, okay, Lord, are we going to put this in order now? And he said, no, it is in order. Wow. Um, he said, that's how I untangle people. I, I get to what I can get to when I can get to it. Mm-hmm. And when they're ready for it, we work on that part. And when they're ready to go to a different you know, area of their life, we go there. And, and as they seek me, they find me at different decades in different areas. And... Um, the other thing I love about the untangling is it doesn't take as long to get untangled as it does to get tangled. Hmm. A, a lot of times we put it off because the tangling was so painful or whatever it was was such a huge either violation or a hurt or it just it looks like a mountain, you know. Yeah. You think, oh, I, can't, I can't do that. I've already been there. I've, but, what, but that's a lie from the enemy. Because when God gets into something, he makes order out of it. He makes sense out of it. Yes. He takes his word and he bathes it with his truth. And he dispels the lies. And so he can touch something. When you dive in with there and you start talking with him about it, you start writing about it and being honest with him about it, he's honest with you about the truth of it. And, and really the healing comes pretty quickly. Mm. And, and so we don't have to be afraid of it. Uh, we just have to stop putting it off, and, tr- and we have to stop uh, applying Band-Aids like things like affairs or drinking or drugs or overworking or gossip or judgment yeah. or um, shame or fear. We have to quit allowing these Band-Aids of, of, of putting it off. It has to just come to the Lord like I did at the end of my rope, just totally open say, okay, I'll do anything to get well. You know, I'll get do anything to get whole. Because otherwise we just waste more time. Yeah. And that's what the enemy's really after. He's, he's, he's after our lives because he knows if he can, he can keep these healings from happening, we're going to be ineffective. We're going to waste more time in bad relationships, you know, circling around the same block over and over. We're just going to waste time. Mm-hmm. And that's the big trick. Well, one of the things that I was very aware of throughout your throughout all the chapters is a, a person cannot have an interaction with Jesus without being transformed. And mm-hmm. you know, we hear the the saying, "God makes everything beautiful." Well, it, beauty is is kind of a thing that we all kind of have an idea of what beauty is, but 
the path that God took you on in a number of situations showed beauty in ways that um, we might not have looked at. I, I'm wondering if you could tell the story about God calling <laughs> you to the women's yeah. prison and your interaction with yes. Jan. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love what you just said, Dave. I mean, it's so true. We can't, we can't even start the healing or, you know, and of course it's ongoing. We can't start this transformation without being fully surrendered and being really hungry for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the more hungry we are after the heart of God and after what he wants for us, the quicker he works. That's the beauty of it. I mean, he realigns our identity. You know, he tells you who you are, not who the world tells you you are. <laughs> right. You know, people, it blows my mind and it, and it breaks my heart how counterfeit identities are being ado- adopted by people. I mean, they're finding identities in the most bizarre of ways mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with the identity that they are as a daughter or a son of God and who God created them to be and for the purposes and the power and the might of that calling and that, and that identity. They're turning in, they're, they're being sold down the river mm-hmm. to yeah. identities that are just, they're not going to make it. I mean, it's not going to do it. It's it's not going to do it just like the affair I had didn't do it, you know? And and so we have to be hungry and we have to be teachable and we have to be correct and we have to say, Lord, I want to find my identity. I give you permission to show you who I am in you. You know, he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And the thing is, is the world is telling us the way is over here. The way is over there. Yeah. But Jesus said, he said, there's always going to be a way if we follow Jesus. Because people come, well, there is just no way. I, I, you hear that, I can't, I can't be different. This is the way I was born. I can't be different because this is the way I am. Well, what I say is, no, there is a way. There is a different way that you may not know about. And he is Jesus. He is the way. The way, The yeah. truth and the life. Yeah. The way and the truth and the life. But you have to come to him and say, okay, I've dabbled in this, I've dabbled in that, or maybe you've even gone headlong into something. And now you're now you're up to your nose in an identity, in a lifestyle that it's just you're trying to make it work, but man, does it feel icky. <laughs> right. And it feels like you're wearing a wet bathing suit or you're you're wearing somebody else's clothing, you know. And and now it's time to come to the Lord and say, Okay, I'm hungry to find out who you created me to be. Because in the Psalms it says that God authored the days of our lives before any of them ever were. Yeah. He authored them way ahead of time. So I come to the Lord now and I say, Lord, what do you have on the pages of my day? You know, who am I in mm-hmm. you? Yeah. And if we're totally hungry for that, if we're willing to hear the truth from the way, then oh my gosh, he'll get he'll get to it. One of the things that I've I've been working on in my own life, I have a, a poor self-image of myself because of a number of different mm. things. And as I'm shaving in the morning, I always pray, Lord, help me to see in the mirror who you see. And mm. I, I think a lot of times we see all of these influences around us and all these pictures around us of what we should look like or what the world thinks we should see. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is God made us the way we are. He gave us the skills, the flaws, the the friendships, the the abilities that he gave us because he wanted us to have those. And he sees us as perfect in his eyes. And, and mm-hmm. we oftentimes, I think we don't see who we are because we don't ask God to show us who we are. That's absolutely right. That's right. And and so we settle for so little. Yes. We settle for, like I said, for counterfeits. And you'll never be more beautiful physically, um, emotionally, spiritually. You'll never be more beautiful than when you look like Jesus. Yeah. And the only way you can look like Jesus is to know him and to spend time with him and to be intimate with him yeah. and and to find out who he is because he's he wants to make us like himself yeah and um he wants to he wants to turn us um into the beauty that that he is i mean he is love he is he's 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 joy he's he's um authoritative he's giving i mean he's secure he's he's smart (laughs) he's clever 
Yeah, um, he's, he's fun. fun. <laughs> you know, he's fun. I mean, he danced at the wedding. He danced his feet off. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's, he. I mean, there's no one cooler than Jesus. There's just. I mean, you can you can study the the history books all day long, and there's no one more beautiful because he is God. And, and God became flesh. Yeah. And and so we get to see what God looks like when we look at Jesus. We get to see what our creator um, looks like. And then what's so beautiful is then Jesus introduces us to Abba. Mm-hmm. And first we, we, we hold on to Jesus and we, we find him as Savior. We find him as friend. We find God as our one that comes alongside us and, and, and gives us eternal life. But then he said, Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Wow. So the mysterious Father, I mean, how mysterious is the Father? Most of us don't have a clue as to what a Father looks like. And so what I love is in time, when you're ready, Jesus then takes you to the Father, and he introduces you to how beautiful. Yeah. And the Father becomes, oh my gosh, the Father becomes a whole new set of things. The Father becomes your protector, your provider, your foreguard, and your rearguard. Your confidence. Yeah. Um, the the father makes you royalty, and and gives you jobs to do and assignments to do. I mean, the father it gives you a backbone. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I and see this is the beauty of knowing a triune God. We we know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We need it all. Yeah. We need it all, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked a little bit about this transformation. Talk about the transformation of Jan that you saw. Or that you didn't see? (laughs) (laughs) I was invited to go to the National Women's Prison to speak. Um, I've been there quite a few times. I love those those women, and boy, do they have stories and and um, how they got there, and you know, oh, it's just so tragic. But they're there, and many of them are growing in the Lord, and 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 they're using that opportunity in prison to become free. Yeah, and. So I met a girl named Jan one night after the chapel service that I taught. And I have to tell you, in the book, I describe it vividly. But when she walked up to me, I mean, I've never seen a human being that radiated with pain more clearly than she did. I mean, her face almost looked like a monster's face. It um, it was contorted and pitted and blemished and... It was hard to look at her face, frankly. It, it was she was she was riddled with pain, and um, we began to talk, and um, she began to tell me her story, and I just almost couldn't couldn't hear it, and and I I I left that night, and I just could never I could never get her her face out of my head. I mean, it was just it wasn't good, and um, I came back months later, and. And, and this woman walked up to me, and, and, um, and, I, and, of course, when I walked in the room, I was looking for Jan. I, I wondered if I'd see Jan. I was combing the room looking for Jan. And in the meantime, this girl came up to me, and she was just on my case. And she's like, Michelle, there's so much I have to tell you. I mean, I have to tell you all about what Jesus has been doing, and, and he's done so much for me. And my brother has come to know Jesus, and, and, I, and I'm looking past her, and I'm like almost pushing her aside because I'm looking for Jan. And you know, I taught that night, and the and the, the night came and went, and and um, I, I came home, and I I got in bed, and I I went to close my eyes, and I just sat straight up from a from almost a, a place of sleep, and it dawned on me that the girl that was tugging at my shirt and in my face, it was Jan. Wow. And she had she had been so transformed, I didn't even recognize her. I mean, I was looking over this girl, this girl with this beautiful face, trying to find Jan with the monstrous face. Yeah. But the beauty of Jan with the monstrous face was no more. And who was standing in front of me that I couldn't even see an inch from my face was the new Jan and the transformed Jan and the Jan that had been walking with Jesus, and she was beautiful. And I, I wanted to get in my car and run back to the prison and say, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, I finally did get to talk with her later. Um, I was able to talk with her the next time after that that I went, and, and and I don't know that I ever told her the truth, but that was quite an experience for me. Well, and I wanted you to tell that story because I think a lot of people have 
this ugliness inside of them, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, and we look at them and say, oh my goodness, what a mess, you know, what in the world? And God says, ah, but I'm not done yet. And when right. he has that opportunity to have an interaction, yes, it might take a while. Yes, it might be painful, but he's going to make a beautiful, as we stated earlier, rose out of this mess that because he sees the real you, the real person he created, the person he wants to have a relationship with. Absolutely. And he is the creator. I mean, he slung the stars in the sky. He created the mountains and the seas and every bird and flower you look at. And he is able to create and, and he is able to, more than able to make new. Um, he can create anything he wants to create. Yeah. And, he's, and he's really good at it. And, and then, you know, we become creative. That's what I love is that we're created in his image. And so we were created to be creative. Yeah. And so, and so what's exciting is if you have functions of creativity and there's things you want to do and of course then you shut it all down and I can't do that or I'm not good enough or I'll let somebody else do it. Whether it's, you know, being involved in church or Sunday school or or starting a food bank. I I don't know what's up your sleeve, but God created you that way. So that, that's a gift from God. That's, that's part of you that's very much like God's personality. And so what we can be assured of is as we step into these creative endeavors for the glory of God, he's going to supersize it. He's going to teach you as you go, and he's going to make you better than you can even be on your all by yourself, yeah. you know? And yeah. that's how we did with my writing. I mean, I started off as, as a writer that wasn't, wasn't real good at it, and, um, and, but I really wanted to be good at it. And, and I learned, and God helped me, and... I I became a writer that could publish, you know, be published, and yeah. it was a fun journey. It, it was actually a very wonderful journey because I did it with the Lord, and it, I, you know, I just loved those years where God sat with me and taught me how not to be afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, He taught me how to say what I wanted to say, not say it the pretty way or the, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, not to put myself in a box, but He gave me freedom in my writing. Yeah, and. I don't know. It was just a beautiful, it was a really beautiful time. Well, one of the other things that I saw, and I'll, and I'll use this uh, sec- section to wrap up our chat today. Throughout your book, you have a lot of italicized print. And I was quick to f- pick up that the italicized print is every time you heard God speaking to you. Yes. How would you encourage the listener? How would you, how did you find that you were able to finally hear God's voice? Because I know a lot of times we as Christians say, well, I pray to God all the time, but I don't hear him talking back. I pray or I go to church and I don't hear anything. And then you so beautifully wrote of all these times where God spoke to you in a very, very real way. How would you encourage us to be able to hear what God is saying to us? That's a great question, Dave. The first thing that comes to mind is to remember, we always go back to the Word of God so that we know we're not making it up as we go. Um, and it's God's, it's God's desire that you would hear his voice. And I stand on the words of Jesus when I say that, because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, mm. and I know them. It's real important to read the whole verse, because it's my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. So there's, there's some caveats in there. There's some requirements there. If you look at it really carefully, first of all, he has to be your shepherd. Right. And you have to be his sheep. So if there are lots of parts of your life where you're the shepherd, and you've sequestered off parts that you've given him, but there are a lot of <laughs> parts of your life that you haven't, <laughs> or you don't know how to. Right. Um, you know, then you're, it's going to be tough to hear his voice because he won't, he won't fight with you on that. And so, first of all, you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. But I see here in your words to me that you have to be my shepherd first. So I'm giving you permission to be the shepherd of all of my life. Mm-hmm. And then look at what he says next. He says, and I know them. Wow. 
See, we, we can know God, but does God really know us? I mean, people say all the time, oh, yeah, I know the Lord. But have you been quiet with him and let him into the inner, inner cavern places of your life that he might really know you? Yeah. It's not enough to know him. He wants to know you, if that makes any sense at all. Well, yeah, and, and because he's created us, he knows us, but he's still, it's, it's like the parent who says, I won't come visit you unless you invite me into your home. It's that same kind of a picture. Right. Yeah. Well, and like, for instance, you know, I could, let me think of a famous person I don't know. Just pick one, Dave. Um, Let's go with, I don't know, Bill Gates. There you go. Okay, so I can read all about Bill Gates all day long. Everything. I can read everything that's ever been printed in print on this, this person. But Bill Gates doesn't know me, and he's probably never going to know me. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really good way to differentiate how, how you're walking with the Lord and if, it's, if you've got all the pieces in place. In other words, you can read about God, you can pray to God, you can, uh, you know, vicariously you know, study at church and everything. You can go to church and sit there. and You could sing about God. Exactly, exactly. You could do all of that, and yet God, you've never really let God know you. You've never introduced him to the most intimate parts of who you are. Then once you do, if I ever meet Bill Gates, well, now we've got a great relationship because I know all about him, and, and now he, know, he actually knows me. And now we've, now we've got something to build on. So Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, yeah. and they follow me. And I truly believe, because God's not a liar, that if you get those three things, that's your desire. You come before him and say, Lord, I, I let you be my shepherd. I'm giving you permission for that. I, I want you to know me. I don't know even know how to do that, but I want you to know me, and I'm willing to spend time with you in quiet and get, letting you into those places. And then I want to follow what you show me. I want to read your word. I want to understand. I want to understand what you require of me and what I should require of you. And then, and then I'll follow you. And, and I promise you, when you do those things, you'll begin to hear his voice. Because yeah. he said it. I didn't say it. He said it. Right. Right. That's beautiful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for taking time. Um, if, if somebody wants to pick up your book or some of the music that you've done recently, what's the best way for them to get that? <laughs> well, thank you. They can go to michellepillar.com. So that's Michelle with one L, and Pillar is like pillar. It's with two Ls. michellepillar.com. And it's a fun website. There's a lot of little videos you can, you know, three-minute videos you can watch. And um, there's a book page, and there's music, and there's Christmas music, there's new music. You Entangle Me is my latest CD, and there's all kinds of stuff there. And everything that's purchased on my website, I sign it personally to the person purchasing it. I'll put the link to your website in our show notes so that people can quickly get to that. We send out a prayer newsletter every Saturday asking folks to pray. We have a number of people who pray uh, for artists, and how can we be praying for Michelle in the days and weeks ahead? Well, I just need all the prayer I can get. I can't tell you that. <laughs> um, typically, I'm, I'm right at the tail end of writing my next book. Um, I've been working on it for a while. And it's not a real long book. It's about the same length as Untangled. But I just go slow with this stuff, and I really seek the Lord. And, um, you know, it's like birthing an elephant. So um, thank you for praying for my new book. I'm, I'm just about to embark on Chapter 9, so I'm on the last few chapters. And it's a fun book. It's a book about not giving up too soon. Kind of what we stated at the beginning of our time together today, that not counting yourself out when really in reality you're the, you're the best you've ever been. Mm-hmm. And you're the most capable and the most usable you've ever been, even if the world tells you you're not. Um, it's okay to have wrinkles. We just can't look at the world standard of value because God doesn't ever do that. Thank you for sharing your story, Michelle. I appreciate your following God's direction to tell the unvarnished truth of how he has changed your life. 
Michelle's story really resonates with me. I know I've been ashamed of the mess I've made of my life, but I'm grateful that God is patiently sitting next to me, helping untangle the mess that I can't fix on my own. And just like Michelle, I'm learning to see myself through God's eyes as a person created by God to do work for God. And I really appreciate the reminder that Michelle gave us from John 10, verses 27 through 30. It says, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And then the promise in verse 28, I give them eternal life, and no one can snatch them away from me. No one can snatch my sheep from the Father's hand. Are you wrestling with some big failure today? Do you see yourself as damaged goods that can't possibly be used for anything at all? Don't believe the lie. God wants to use you for something amazing. He wants to sit with you and untangle the mess of your life. He wants you to know that when he looks at you, he sees his amazing creation, and no one can take that from you. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>